Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brendan Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us today Attorney Jeffrey Rapatoni, shareholder in the Cherry Hill, New Jersey office of Marshall Dennehy, Warner, Coleman, and Goggin, one of the country's leading civil defense litigation firms with 20 offices in six states. Jeff is a member of the firm's Fraud Special Investigation Practice Group and focuses his practice on all types of insurance fraud, bad faith, and SIU matters. He has 14 years of experience defending insurers, and he has received awards of appreciation from the National Insurance Crime Bureau and the New Jersey Special Investigators Association. Jeff, we're very pleased to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. Today's topic is the burden of medical provider fraud on the insurance industry, and Brendan Newman is going to lead off with our first question. Jeff, why is medical provider fraud so pervasive, especially in light of uh, many states' efforts to institute reforms and regulations? In my opinion, I think that it's so pervasive primarily because our adversary positions are very fluid. They adapt well, and when you're in this medical provider fraud industry, so to say that you are in the industry to defraud the insurance industry, there's a lot of money at stake. There's a lot of money at risk. And so these guys are calculated to a certain end to defraud the industry. So we as an industry must be equally as fluid and open to change by protecting and perfecting our SIU claims process. The fact of the matter is that they know who we are. They know all the carriers well. They know who pays. They know who doesn't pay. And they do their homework. Again, if you have a a slice of this pie and you're a fraudulent physician, you're going to do everything you can to protect that little slice that you have. And so I think it's so pervasive because the doctors make so much money at it, and they have a vested interest at continuing to make money at it. So I really believe that accounts for why this continues to just infiltrate our industry as a whole. Jeff, what can insurance carriers do to minimize litigation risks and to mitigate losses? In terms of medical provider fraud, there's a few loopholes that are larger than others. Eligibility and and stage losses are probably the two main stakes here. A strong eligibility protocol, a strong SIU claims protocol will certainly help to minimize litigation risk and mitigate losses. That protocol enacted properly will, will help specifically in bad faith states to protect the carrier from the threat of bad faith litigation if litigation should ever arise. But that has to begin with a strong partnership between SIU, between claims, and your legal partners. The protocol for one company is certainly not going to be the same protocol for another company. And I encourage my carriers to develop this protocol as a parallel to the type of culture that that particular carrier brings to the table. But there are safeguards. There are a lot of things that carriers can do by way of pre-litigation in different jurisdictions. Strong SIU protocol to make sure that we don't go down that path, that bad faith path, and try to minimize the overall litigation risk. Stage losses continue to be a big problem for the industry. What should carriers know about investigating these cases? I think carriers need to know that stage losses have been with us since the beginning, and they're probably going to be with us till the end. And knowing that, I think, is an important factor. You have to know that you're going to be in for the long road, and that once you accept that and you acknowledge that, that you bring aboard the certain resources or the assets that you need to be successful in dealing with a stage loss ring. 
there are numerous rings throughout the country. Some are relative to organized crime. Some are, are relative to uh, runners on behalf of medical providers. But the most important thing to do is to identify the ring from what you already have in-house. And one of the things I tell my carriers all the time is, the good thing about ring work is that legitimately the majority of the information you need to siphon out that ring is already in your claim system. It's just a matter of getting it out of your claim system, getting that data, harnessing it, and kind of filtering it and siphoning it to develop the ring and then attack the ring. But it is a big problem, and it's going to continue to be a big problem, not unlike we discussed with the first question, because these people make money. If the ring wasn't making money, if the doctor, if the lawyer, if the runner, if the participant, if they weren't making money, then these things would go away. The fact that these things are growing in scope nationally, in my opinion, means that there's money to be made. And until we as an industry are able to get in there, cut these rings off, stop the bleeding, stage losses, at least in my opinion, are here to stay with us for, for quite some time. Jeff, how does the recent expansion of electronic discovery rules impact medical provider fraud litigation? Electronic discovery is really a hot topic. It's something, obviously, we weren't dealing with necessarily 10 years ago, but with the recent changes to the federal rules, it's something that all carriers should really brush up on. It allows a greater insight into how a insurance company operates and works and can even, in the course of litigation, cause defense litigation costs to skyrocket through the roof. So in medical provider fraud cases in particular, we don't see a whole lot of electronic discovery, particularly because if the case is done right and there's strong pre-litigation evidence in place, your litigation purpose should be narrowly defined, very sharp, fine-tuned, and leading itself to a calculated end. But where you may have an adversary who wants to make a name for himself or push the envelope and want to start using some of these federal rules of discovery, it can cause problems for the overall litigation piece. Primarily, speed. A lot of times we want to go into litigation, we want to file that affirmative uh, recovery action. We know where we're going, okay? So we want to get there as soon as possible. We don't need time to delay. Our adversaries, on the other hand, may want to slow that process down cause expenses to go up. And they can do that by filing these motions with the court and try to get some of our protected information, which further causes a problem in the overall litigation scheme because you kind of lose some of that ebb and flow of the natural course of litigation. So I think we've got to be aware that this is out there. I don't really see it impacting the overall civil prosecution of these claims negatively. And in fact, conversely, if we had the right case in the context of affirmative litigation, I think these rules really do favor the insurance industry. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. That was Jeffrey Rapitoni, shareholder in the Cherry Hill, New Jersey office of Marshall Dennehy, Warner, Coleman, and Goggin with 20 offices in six states. Special thanks to Brendan Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brendan Noonan, and now this message. 
BEST's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is used by decision makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators, and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in BEST's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance attorney reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AMBEST listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed, those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year-long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there's no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about BEST's directory of recommended insurance attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com.